Can you imagine being a young musician? You've been grinding, working hard, hitting all the shows, hitting the road, putting those records out, and you finally landed the big opening act opportunity. Back in the day, somebody big that you might have opened for would be Lenny Kravitz. But then Lenny listens to your music and says, no, not for me. And in that moment, he ruins your musical career. Now, if you're a millennial, Lenny Kravitz, who's that? Okay, maybe it'd be like opening for Machine Gun Kelly or Lizzo in modern times. But this is exactly what Dr. David Franklin experienced. He was building his music career. He was opening for Lenny Kravitz until he wasn't. And that's where we start today's conversation. And why is that relevant for a ruckus maker? Because you're going to have obstacles, challenges. You're going to have to do hard things and bounce back from lows as a school leader, especially if you're a ruckus maker, which means you're investing in your continuous growth, challenging the status quo, not maintaining (laughs) in designing the future of school now. Hey, it's Danny, Chief Ruckus Maker over at Better Leaders, Better Schools, and excited to bring this conversation to you with Dr. David Franklin. And we'll be in that main conversation after some messages from our show sponsors. Take the next step in your professional development with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership. Learn from Harvard faculty without leaving your home. Grow your network with fellow school leaders from around the world as you collaborate in case studies of leaders in education and business. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Last year, teachers using TeachFX increased their student talk by an average of 40%. TeachFX uses AI to help teachers see the power of high-leverage teaching practices in their own classroom-level data. It's like having a personal instructional coach on your phone, your tablet, or laptop. Start your free pilot at teachfx.com slash betterleaders. Why do students struggle? I'd argue that they lack access to quality instruction, but think about it. That's totally out of their control. What if there was something we could teach kids then? What if there was something within their control that would help them be successful in every class? And it's not a magic pill or a figment of your imagination. When students internalize executive functioning skills, they succeed. Check out the new self-paced online course brought to you by our friends at Organized Binder that shows teachers how to equip their students with executive functioning skills. You can learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go. Hey, Ruckus Makers, I'm joined today by Dr. David Franklin, who's an award-winning school administrator, education professor, curriculum designer, author, and presenter. He earned a doctorate in education leadership from California State University, East Bay, a master's degree in ed technology from National University, and holds a bachelor's in art and music from University of California, San Diego. Dr. Franklin is the founder of the Principal's Desk, an online community with a membership of over 215,000 educators from across the world. And just so you know, if you search in Facebook, the Principal's Desk, this is a public group and I highly recommend you join. Uh, Dr. Franklin's also an adjunct professor of education for Colorado State University 
and a Marzano Research Fellow trained in high-reliability schools, instructional rounds, collaborative teams, and PLCs. He has presented at national and international education conferences and is a sought-after presenter in the areas of academic intervention, school leadership, creating a scared, excuse me, not a scared, a shared vision, and creating common assessments and data analysis. Dr. Franklin, welcome to the show. Ah, well, thank you so much for having me. It's great being here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm tempted to ask you about how to develop a scared vision. Maybe we'll get into that a little later. But, uh, <laughs> I probably can do that for you. Yeah, a lot of people can. So I, I want to open with like, not everybody has this story, but uh, Lenny Kravitz, right? Ruined your music yeah. career. <laughs> and uh, sorry to laugh about that, but it's like, what? This is crazy. So what's the lessons learned from that experience? Ah, uh, lessons learned is, just, <laughs> well, first of all, it was a long time ago. So I am over it. I do hold a small grudge. And every time he does come on the radio or TV, I do. Yeah. I let my kids know. I'm like, that's the guy. Uh, that's they don't the know guy. who he is. They don't get it. But like, I, you know, I do. But, you know, lessons learned from that, you know, we were putting all of our eggs in that basket, to be honest with you. And uh, we yeah. were going to do an opening spot for Lenny Kravitz. And we were all set to go. And in the literally the 11th hour, Lenny personally thought that we weren't a good match for his musical vibe. And uh, he replaced us with an artist, uh, and her name is Jill Scott. And Jill Scott is like a Grammy award-winning singer. And she's amazing. Uh, we are, we, my band was not like her at all. Like we were a hard rock band. Yeah. And so we didn't get the gig and, uh, I ended up going back to education and uh, Jill Scott won some Grammys. So, uh, <laughs> always have a backup plan is, is maybe the lessons learned there. For sure. Always have a backup plan. And, and if the honest, you know, reality is that tough things are going to happen to you as a school leader, right? Especially mm -hmm. if you identify, like I, I call my listeners ruckus makers. That means they're consistently, you know, developing themselves and investing in their growth. They're challenging the status quo and that will ruffle feathers at times and designing the future of school now. So they're evolving education. So they're going to put themselves in situations where it's difficult at times. And when you reflect back, I know it's been many years and now you have a better uh, perspective of it. But what helped with like getting over it, right? Because I'm sure it was devastating at the time. Oh my goodness, you have no idea yeah. how we were so upset. Right. And, you know, I think we recognized after the end of Dust Settled that, you know, we weren't, it wasn't the right match. It really wasn't. We probably shouldn't have been selected in the first place. We went back. I mean, I mean, yeah, I joked a minute ago that I went straight to education after that. I was already a teacher <laughs> at that point. We didn't give up our yeah. dream when that happened, but we went back and, you know, we kept plugging along. We kept trying. We kept, you know, we recorded another record after that. And, uh, you know, obviously my, my, my musical days did end, you know, as 99.9% .9 of us do, but we didn't let it affect us moving forward here. We, we did our very best to say, Hey, you know, it just wasn't for us. Let's go on to the next thing. And we had some great memories after that as well. And uh, I look back mm -hmm. and the fact that Lenny Kravitz even like listened to any of our music was amazing. So I'll, I take that as a win. Absolutely. So obviously, let's pull on the music thread a little bit more. And I yep. believe you've approached in the past, right? School leadership as a musician. So what does that mean mm -hmm. to you? I think we all have our soundtrack. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I actually often ask school leaders, uh, you know, when you're driving to work or driving home or you're in your office, what are you listening to? And for me, yeah. again, I'm a hard rock, heavy metal guy, okay. which 
freaks some people out, but you know, there's an energy to it and it kind of gets me going. And I'm not an angry person at all, but like there is a release that happens with it. Mm. And so I like to think about that rhythm and that tempo as I, you know, as you walk through schools and walk through classrooms, you know, what's happening? What's that almost like soundtrack? Like if this was a movie, what is playing in the background of your school? Is it classical music? Is that like a Mozart concerto or is it, uh, you know, uh, uh, Benny Goodman on clarinet, or are we talking, you know, Metallica? What is it? And so this gets people to kind of recognize, you know, what is the vibe here? And it can shift around, you know, time Mm -hmm. and different things. But um, it's important to have that soundtrack, a pulse to your school. Yeah, absolutely. Who who are some of those maybe bands that you uh, you enjoy listening to when it comes to hard rock or or heavy metal? Uh, I've always been a huge Metallica fan. I think uh, most people are huge Metallica fans. But uh, you know, I. Gosh, I ran the gamut. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne. I like kind of a little bit of the classic, you know, Ozzy Osbourne yeah. and, uh, you know, get into that Guns N' Roses. You know, I, I'm right. a kid of the 80s. So, but, you know, and I, I played that. I played that music for my students, my own kids and my staff. And, uh, you know, again, it's that soundtrack. And uh, that's important. The music's important. So uh, I try to infuse it into everything that I do. Right. I have a few different uh, workout playlists. Some are more like, like a dance club vibe, some are hip hop, but I think the one that you would appreciate when it comes to uh, to metal and that kind of thing, that workout playlist is filled with uh, like Pantera, Ministry, you, you know, they get me go White Zombie, all right, oh, uh, yeah, Metallica's yeah, yeah. on there, and uh, you know, I get some personal records lifting to that music. Oh, for sure. for sure. But I will say, you know, like last night I was uh, I was working on a writing project and uh, I was listening I listened to two different things. I had my toe the wet sprocket, so it was a little on the mellow side. But okay. then I, yeah, I had some, Dr., some Dr. Dre going on after that too, because nice. I needed to pick it up. And so old school Dr. Dre and hey, you know, whatever works for you in that moment, you know, it gets you yeah, going. Absolutely. So let's go back to your uh, first principalship. And staff was complaining about the challenging environment. The clock was ticking and they said, you know, Dr. Franklin, we need to change things up. What were they talking about? Oh, that first school that I was a principal at had a lot of uh, longstanding issues. It was in a lower socioeconomic area. There were some gang issues, some violence issues. We had uh, primarily our students were English language learners. You know, parents weren't coming from college-educated backgrounds. They were coming from horrible conditions in different countries and settling in our community. And um, some of my teachers had been there for long enough where they did see the population and the needs of the school change over decades. And what was working 20, 30 years ago wasn't working anymore. And, but they kept trying to do the same things. And so uh, we had some very deep conversations about, you know, who are our students? Our students are not the same students than they were, you know, 20 years ago. These are very different mm-hmm. students with very different needs. How are we meeting their needs? And I wasn't getting a lot back from them. And I thought that was very eye-opening. So I said, okay, let's focus on the kids. Let's focus on what they need. And let's start brainstorming and coming up with a new vision and mission for the school. And, you know, the main thing that we focused on, uh, which was a big pain point for my teachers, was classroom management and discipline. We were literally getting hundreds of students a year in the office. And it was very frustrating. And... Yeah you know, came back to what's going on in the classroom. Is it culturally relevant pedagogy? Are we properly managing our class with engaging instruction? And we started to work on that round and it really started to help. But this was a long process and I took a lot of lumps 
There were a lot of, there, there's blood, sweat, and tears left all over that school from all of us, but it needed to be done. And I, I think I was maybe the right person at the right time to kind of mix it up a little bit. I, hey, I was your ruckus maker. I, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely, uh, ruffled feathers for sure. Right. And, you know, not every educator gets this, but I think it's important to focus on culture, uh, before you get to academics and in your view and oh, yeah. your experience. Why is that important to start there? You have to build that. First of all, you have to build that trust with your community. And uh, that goes with teachers, that goes with students, that goes with parents here. I'm very cautious when I work with principals now on having them come in and just bulldoze the place uh, from an instructional standpoint, because that's not what needed. Got us, you got to have that cultural foundation up front here. And what I learned very early on at that school in particular is that there really wasn't a unifying culture at that school. And if there was, it was very negative. And so we had to change how people perceived our school from the inside out. And those are some very challenging, again, challenging conversations about personal beliefs, you know, either unconscious or conscious bias that was happening at that school. And we had some teachers leave over it. And I mm-hmm. had the opportunity to bring some teachers in, which was refreshing for the school. But this was very challenging. I don't think we talked that much about instruction until at least year two, um, because I had to create that team. They had to trust me. And uh, same thing with the parents. I was this outsider coming in and I was also very young at the time. I was 28. And so I was this young kid who I was, I think actually at that time, I was the youngest person who worked at the school (laughs) and I was the principal. And so parents, you know, these teachers were looking at me going, I have kids your age. And they did. And I had to develop that trust, those relationships first, so that when I did have to have those strong conversations, we had already had, we had a relationship that was there. And again, it went better than it would have been if I just came in and bulldozed them down because that nothing good comes from that anyway. Yeah. Talk a bit more uh, to the ruckus maker watching or listening about that experience being uh, on the younger side as a principal. Uh, I got a principal position. Every principal before me had a cowboy hat and a mustache and was, you know, mid forties, past fifties, right? Now I was a Midwestern dude, you know, from the North, uh, coming down to Texas. I had a wonderful experience, but th- there were some um, mismatches potentially culturally, plus the age, plus the beard, mm-hmm. plus the tattoos. And so there, there were some things that I, I dealt with, but this show is not about me. It's about you. And we have ambitious listeners and leaders. And so what would you tell them? Because they're probably struggling with the same thing. You know, uh, the age piece is going to happen. People are going to look at you like you're a baby. And I got that. I got that for many years. It's something you just have to accept that it's going to happen. And don't let that get you down. Lead with your expertise. You were hired there for a reason. And I was hired there for the reason that I came in. I had to change things up. I didn't come with a lot of baggage. And that's how I kind of framed it. I wasn't coming with any spirit either uh, as far as school leadership goes. But I also wasn't coming with baggage. And so I, I got to look at everything from fresh eyes. And that was really important from the school perspective as well when changing that culture. Because, you know, again, I stepped foot on that campus and I could tell something was off. And it was just that gut feeling that I had. And I was able to use that. Hey, like, I'm not from this area because I moved across California for this role. Was it from the area? Was it from the community? And I could sense like, hey, something's not right. But there's going to be those teachers that, you know, want to kind of make an example of you saying, oh, I don't have to listen to this young guy. He's not going to be around for a while. And you're also going to have those veteran teachers too that are going, 
I want to do things differently. And maybe this is the opportunity. So I also got really good at that too. Tap into those veteran teachers who they need that spark back. And if you can light that spark again, those are your champions. So I got very good at not being the mouthpiece. And I had some of my veteran teachers who were just kind of stuck in a rut. And I was, and I said, like, I need you to go and talk to your friends. And they did. And Mm. that's how we got things moving along here. It was less about me, more about let's build this community back again. We got to get the school. The school I was at used to be a really amazing school and it just deteriorated over the years. Let's get that back. Let's get that fun back. Because there were teachers that were there at that time. That desire was there, but it wasn't necessarily going to come from me because I wasn't there. It's got to come in totally. Yeah. You know, I call that uh, I call that the ripple effect. And it was great that you didn't want to be the mouthpiece or out in front, right? That you yeah. honored the veterans' experience uh, and tapped into that and brought them on board because through them, you were able to influence. They had much stronger relational capital than you at the time because they, they had built yeah. the relationships. And so that's certainly, uh, certainly a pro move. Speaking of pro moves, we're going to have a quick break here for some messages from our sponsors. But I want to talk to you, David, uh, after the break about how you grew uh, a school to 98.5% attendance, which is tremendous and uh, what we can learn you know, from that experience. I'm sure uh, everybody listening and watching would love to have a school like that or better. All right. Well, today's show is sponsored by Harvard's uh, Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school success, and empower your teams through this program. Get online PD that fits your schedule. Courses include leading change, leading school strategy and innovation, leading people, and leading learning. You can learn more and apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Today's show is also sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal-setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher through parallel process with students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Learn more and improve your students' executive functioning at organizedbinder.com. When classrooms come alive with conversation, teachers and students both thrive. Last year, teachers using TeachFX increased their student talk by an average of 40%. Can an app really do that? Even trying something like embracing extra wait time to create space for student talk can feel like a risk. But with TeachFX, teachers see the power of those practices in their own classroom level data. It's like having a personal instructional coach on your phone, tablet, or laptop. Best of all, ruckus makers can start a free pilot with their teachers today. Go to teachfx.com slash better leaders to learn how and get started. That's right. Go to teachfx.com slash better leaders and start your free pilot with TeachFX today. And I would love to just make a quick invitation to anybody watching or listening I'm hosting uh, my next live event. It's in Denver this July, and I'm teaching a brand new framework called the Leadership Optimization Compass. The guiding question that's driving the whole event is what would be possible on your campus if you were consistently operating at your best? You can learn more at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Denver 2023. And we're back with 
Dr. David Franklin, who has been here uh, talking about all sorts of really interesting stuff like how Lenny Kravitz ruined his music career and lessons learned as a young uh, first-time principal. David has also started the principal's desk, which there's two outside of my small private group. There's two Facebook groups I like to uh, play in. And this one's awesome. I highly encourage you joining. And if you just search on Facebook, Principal's Desk, there's over 200,000. I think David told me 216,000 as of today. Anyways, search that in the search bar, you know, uh, request admittance and uh, Dr. Franklin will get you in. So we're back and, you know, I, I talked about how you grew a school to 98.5% attendance. People would love to have a school like that or better. And what did you learn? What was the secret in terms of getting such great attendance at your school? Uh, being relentless. Kids can't learn unless they're in school. And right. Granted, the conversations changed a little bit over the last couple of years because kids were learning at home uh, sure, during, sure. you know, remote learning. But fundamentally, kids can't learn unless they're in their seats. Uh, you could have the best teachers, the best curriculum and content, uh, the most innovative, you know, teaching methods, none of that will make a difference if that child is not there in class. And I started to see this happening where I was bringing on new staff members who were, you know, again, like innovative and they were energizing. The kids were loving them, but I was missing a lot of kids. Our attendance was down in the low 90s. And I had many kids every year that were, you know, tripping that truancy rate, which was, you know, 10%. And they were failing. They just were not uh, succeeding. And so we initiated this very intense attendance campaign. And a lot of it was phone calls from the school, phone calls and letters. And so every time a kid was absent, automatic phone calls would be going out. I would also place personal phone calls to some of our most, you know, absent, uh, truant kids to explain to their parents, like, we really need them there. Now, if they were sick, we said, okay, please keep them home. (laughs) Keep them home. We want them to feel better. But... What we found is that in a lot of cases, kids were not coming to school because they didn't have a ride or their parents, Mm. you know, had to take the car early or they had to stay home and watch a sick brother or sister because if the parent didn't go to school, there was no, or go to work, there was no food on the table that night. And so um, we started to pinpoint, you know, what's the root cause of of these kids not coming to school? And so if it was a transportation issue, we got them free bus passes. If it, or we hooked them up with a, uh, a carpool with another student's family. You know, we help families, you know, figure out how to fix their cars. I mean, we got local mm-hmm. mechanics to fix cars, uh, you know, for next to nothing to get families up and running again. And the other thing we did was home visits. Home visits, I can't say enough about them. And I worked again in a very challenging part of town in, in, in San Jose, California. Uh, a lot of our families spoke Spanish at home now. My Spanish is, uh, uh, I speak very little. I can understand. Muy mal. Yes, muy mal. It was much better when I was working there, though. But I would bring right. my community liaison with me, and she was, you know, fluent in Spanish. And so she, and she also had the relationships with the families. She lived in the community. And so we were coming over not to bring the hammer down on these families, but say, hey, what do we do? What, how can we help you here? And mm-hmm. I would say 95% of the time when we knocked on that door, Families were so happy that we were there. And they were like, come on in. Like, can I get you something to eat? Yeah. And like, yeah, and we did. Yeah. We, I had, I ate lunch most of the time in, you know, in, in the houses of our families because 
they they're just so welcoming and they knew why we were there. It was to help. And mm-hmm. you know, we started seeing kids come to school more and more. Now, on the flip side of that, we did have some families who were very challenging for us. And I brought this up in the Facebook group many times. And there are some people that get a little hesitant with it, but let me kind of go through it here. So we did have a very strong relationship with our local uh, police department. And so we did have uh, SROs on campus. And so I would, for a more challenging family, I would have uh, our officer come out with us. Now, our officers also spoke Spanish, which was very helpful. But they were not going to, again, to put the hammer down. But having a police officer there is a little bit more, we're raising the bar a little bit here. But they could also speak to the parent about just the dangers of school truancy and just, you know, how, what they see as far as, you know, adults who they get to interact on a daily basis with, you know, did they graduate from high school? And what was, you know, those, you know, people's uh, trajectory when they were younger? And that also helped as well, just having that other perspective as well here. So it was kind of this like wraparound approach and uh, we were just relentless with it. It was just a daily thing with us. And so we went from about 91% up to 98.5% in one year. I used to post out to our families, you know, grade level attendance rate on a weekly basis. And it really, I was amazed. It was tremendous. And because kids were then getting to school, we saw our academic, you know, rates go up as well. We saw disciplinary rates go down because students were at school, they were engaged. You know, they weren't coming in after being gone for four days and not knowing what's going on. So they'd rather just talk to their friend. It was a game changer, uh, definitely for that school. Right, right. I'm curious, uh, were these visits often announced, unannounced? He would call ahead. We would call ahead. It was never unannounced unless we couldn't get a hold of the parent. And that wasn't just you know, like, oh, we called and they didn't pick up. This was maybe a couple days where we hadn't heard from the child. Sure. We hadn't heard from the parent. We're, I mean, we're oddly enough, it was almost like a welfare check, but no, we would always call ahead, let them know. And there were a lot of times when the parent would say to us, please come over. My kid will not mm-hmm. come to school. Like I cannot get mm-hmm. him or her out of, out of their room. Please come. And again, like families were absolutely wonderful with it. And we, again, we framed it not as a, hey, we gotcha. Your kid's not at school. It was, what can we do to help? And that was right. the, that subtle difference is met the world to our community. And again, kids started coming to school. Sure. Yeah. The framing is foundational, especially, uh, yeah, to express your heart of why you want to visit and the importance of having the kid in school. And if you're going to involve, you know, uh, the police as well, you know, framing that and calling ahead is incredibly important. So. All right. Thanks for sharing that and how you grew the school to 98.5% attendance. So, David, you have a new podcast. And uh, obviously, I love podcasts. It's changed my life. I've had this one for the last seven years. And if you can believe it, never missed a Wednesday since September 2nd, 2015. But the new show, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's called The Principal's Desk as well. Can you tell the ruckus makers watching or listening, you know, why'd you start this podcast and what's it all about? So... In starting the just the principal's desk Facebook group and everything, uh, as we're up to 215,000 educators from around the world, I've had the opportunity, just like you, uh, to meet just some amazing people. And I wanted to turn their stories into a podcast. Like I'm enjoying learning from them. I bet everyone could learn something from them. So that's why I started it. Right, I'm definitely, right. you know, not a professional podcaster by any means, but 
it's definitely been fun and interesting just to meet people from different walks of life and education and to learn from them and grow from them. And uh, yeah, good. You know, it'd be great if uh, you know, listeners, hey, check it out. Uh, you know, it's up on, you know, all the different streaming uh, services. So it's just the principal's desk. And uh, yeah, come check it out. Definitely check it out. So you're doing good work over there. And, you know, I, I want to ask you to be uh, authentic and vulnerable for a moment. I know when you launched the show, you told me, you thought, can I do this? Right. So can you tell me yep. more about that question? Can I do this and your mental approach to starting the show? Yeah. So podcasting, very new to me, still very new to me. And uh, I, I listen to a lot on a podcast, but the thought of doing one was very intimidating for me, just from just the technical side. And then also just the mm. prep side that goes, you know, the amount of work that goes in a podcast. I know people are a lot more because so much work goes into it that no one ever sees. And, you know, I guess if there's anyone out there that thinking about it, do what I did and just you dive in and you do it and you get better each and every one. And I talk to my, the folks that come on to my podcast, I ask them afterwards, like, how was it for you? Like, you know, what, would you do it again? And uh, they've all said yes, by the way. But like, I've gotten some really also great feedback from them as well, you know, as far as like what they would like, you know, maybe it would help them out a little bit more or something that I could do. And so just be open, mm-hmm. but just, you're not going to break anything. You're not going to, you know, the world's not going to end if it's not successful, but go ahead and try it. And I think as educators, like we always have to have that kind of mindset of like, I'm going to try this, you know, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but I'm not going to let my fear of, you know, failure hold me back from doing yeah, right. I call that taking the leap. You know, before you're ready, you jump in. Yeah. And if you're waiting to know it all and this kind of stuff before you start, that's just, we all know that's analysis paralysis. And that's yeah. where you're just sitting in the uh, zone of ideas, but not action. Yeah. You're never going to change the world yeah. thinking about changing it. So, all right. Well, the last three questions are always the same for every guest. And I'd love to go through those with you. Basically, yeah. number one, if you could put one message on all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message be, David? Gosh, you know, I've been thinking about this ever since I saw the question. And that's it. I, I stress so much about putting things on my marquee just for one school. Yeah. I have to think about all yeah. of them. You know, all I would them. say, yeah, all of them, uh, you know, probably we're better together. I think that would be, I think that would be the message. Uh, and I'll speak just to education, but you can definitely, you know, put this out, you know, for the whole world right now. We're a very divided, you know, world right now. There's so many different competing factors and everything. And then when I think about education, I think about kids, young kids, they don't understand this. They're just, they want to be friends with everyone and they want to learn and they want to, you know, experience different yeah. things. And we've just put so much pressure and politics and different things on, you know, weighting down on schools and kids. And you know what? Hey, let's just work together on this. You know, let's have open dialogues, open communication and, uh, we're going to be better together, you know? Let's figure out this future, you know, so that this next generation can take over and do and do it better than we have. So if you're building your dream school, David, and you had no constraint in terms of resources, your only limitation was your imagination, how would you build that school? What would be the three guiding principles? I always get back to people, process, and product. And so for me, it's, it's the people. Uh, that's foundational, I think, for any organization, especially schools. So I want the right people. And I don't want the same type of people. I want different types of people in there um, that all can work with kids in different ways. But I want people who have that practical life experience as well, who, who can also take the content 
And you know, when kids ask, why do I have to learn this? Oh, I'll show you. Yes. And here's the thing. So I want that to be it. And that goes into the process piece as well. I want it to be, you know, real life scenarios, very project based learning where kids aren't just sitting doing worksheets. They're actively building and creating and uh, designing their own learning. Uh, and then we get into the product of things. I want, again, taking that idea further, I want students to show us how what they've learned in their own way. I was not a good student. I got good grades because I did a lot of extra credit, but I was not the best student. I was a horrible test taker. And if I could just have done things my way and had to be a little bit more personalized for me, I would have done a whole lot better. I would have learned a whole lot more and I wouldn't have to play catch up you know, for years and years. So yeah, people process product is what I would focus on. Great. And we covered a lot of ground today, David. So of everything we spoke about, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I think ruckus makers uh, need to need a uh, need a flock. <laughs> they need to stick together. It, education can be very lonely, especially for school leaders. And uh, I remember sitting in my office many a late afternoon, feeling very down, very defeated, looking for new careers. And um, when I was doing it, there wasn't social media wasn't, didn't exist yet. And so there wasn't a lot of places for me to find other people who thought like me. So if they're not in your district, you know, or across the street or across town, go online, find a group of people that you can connect with uh, for mental health, but then also just personal uh, and professional growth as well. Stick together. There's going to be some good times. There's going to be some bad times. But keep pushing forward here because, you know, you guys are the ones that are going to be making the change in the world uh, for this next generation coming up. And uh, there's a lot of state, but there's a lot of great people out there that are going to do that great work. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.